0: And then within that belief, you have hierarchical levels of belief. The rich, the poor, the educated, the not, the middle class. Now you have to find your beliefs from the level that you're at. You never find someone who's, rarely I should say, someone who's middle class, either B.A. in college or not even college educated, hanging out with PhDs from upper classes. Even though you came from the same religion and have the same politics. So now we subdivide it again. We are nothing more than little boxes. And yet, strip us all naked, take away our titles, and we're just human beings. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or you're black or Catholic or rich or poor. Cut us and we all bleed the same red blood. We are not so uniquely different from one another. We pretend to be because that's how we get our image. But it's a foolish image. It's like fool's gold. It looks real, but it's not. Our whole society is based upon a lie, the lie of unique differentiation of selves. But if you're my friend, I don't care what you are. I just care that you're a good person, and I like you as a friend. And if you're in trouble, I'm going to be there to help you. If you fall down, I'm going to kneel down to pick you up. That's what friends do. They don't ask you, well, Are you rich enough or poor enough? No, they say, I like you. The people that mean the most to you in your life are not there to entertain you or to educate you, to impress you or to dazzle you. They're there because of the sweetness of their heart and disposition and the kindness of their soul. And that's what you like about them. Well, then what does it matter what they are and all their other differences? The trouble is the moment you start separating yourself by your differences, because of your insecurities, and they're not even your choices. That's the bad part. They're choices made hundreds of years ago. Through our ancestral linkages, one to another, and our lineage of what we should do, we're just passing on the torch. Well, my dad was a Democrat, so I got to be a Democrat. Well, you know, we always went to Harvard. I got to go. Well, we're just kind of middle class, so we'll just be middle class. We start believing them when they tell us they know what's best for us. And we're still believing that their knowledge of what we should do is better than ours because you know what you do when you go to make a major decision? You go back and ask them for advice. We have never even got to the point where we can trust our own inner wisdom. We don't go inside for our security, we go outside. But there's nothing or no one out there that can ever give you the comfort of knowing yourself as well as you can know yourself inside. How many women do you imagine you've spoken to when you've gone out with a man to tell, him all, tell your friends all about the men you've gone out with, analyzing everything you did, said, and everything else. If I go out on a date now, it's a unique date. If I go to dinner, I reserve a restaurant. Why? Because I say, well, bring everyone that tomorrow you're going to tell about the dinner so they can be here. <laughs> and I want them to hear. here. We're going to put a speaker on, on here. And if we go back to my house later to have sex, I've set up bleachers. All, and they are scorecards, and, and we can do freeze frame. So if you lie about anything tomorrow, they'll know. And then they say, you're joking. No, I'm not joking. <laughs> I'll say, well, I'm not going out with you. Well, I wouldn't have gone out with you anyhow, because I have gone out with you and all your female friends. How many times have you had someone talk about you? Here's the rule. Anyone that's going to gossip, gossip to you is going to gossip about you. That's the rule. And we know how we love gossip. Now, I'm a public figure. I've been at a party. I was at Jerry Rubin's uh, birthday party once. And it was, they were, and Jerry is very much into health. I just put him on a six-month health program. Had him at my farm for three months, and he did great. And then, but they were starting to smoke. and and. I don't smoke and I don't drink. I've never done a drug. Probably the only guy in my college that didn't do a single drug or alcohol. I've never had cigarette, never had any of this stuff. Don't want it, didn't see the need for it. What was the purpose? I was the jock. I was the, you know, the basketball, the boxer, the you know, rowing team and all this stuff, and I just didn't want it in me. So anyway, I'm out on the terrace. And I'm just sitting out there, it's a beautiful view of the city, an apartment over on the east side in the 70s. Next thing you know, there's two women. One I'm guessing about 30, 35. One sitting there talking about Bill Boggs. And I even know Bill. Bill's a nice guy. She's talking about, oh yeah, I finally broke up with Bill and uh, you know, I told him, and I'm thinking, she's lying. I know Bill. She's n- I'll bet she's never even met Bill. But I'm listening to this, and she's going on and on. I'm thinking, God, what nerve. I said, I'm, just gonna, I'm thinking, should I ask her a few questions? Because I know Bill's apartment. I'm just going to ask her what it looks like, right? Okay? But before I could do that, the other one says, well, you've got problems. I just dumped Gary Nall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. Man, that must have been a long sleep I was in because I don't remember this woman. I've got a photographic memory. And she's going on and on about me. And I've never met her, and she's lying her teeth off to this woman about me. And so, well, he just, hadn't, he just didn't have enough time. I told him, you know, you're going to have to cut back and stop all this nonsense because you don't have enough time for us and developing a family and they're talking about my sex life. <laughs> if she'd have had sex with me, that she'd have remembered. <laughs> but she didn't. <laughs> so Jerry comes out, and I'm just sitting there befuddled, wondering what I should do, or just forget it and go in. So Jerry comes over and says, Hey, what's you doing out here? I said, Well, it's just too smoky in there, Jerry. He said, Well, he says, Come on, let me introduce you to people. So I said, No, I'm just going to leave. And he's, No, no, no. He says, Cheryl, I want you to introduce someone. She says, "Yes, who's this? I said, well, Cheryl, you know me. You just dumped me. I'm Gary Knoll. <laughs> and she looks up at me like, you're Gary Knoll? Uh, yeah, you know, the one you were just talking about, our sex life together? And this other woman looks at her and looks at me, says, you've never met her? I said, no, I've never met her. And I'm willing to bet you never met Bill Boggs. I said, you two keep going lying to each other, and I'll go on my way. And Jerry, Jerry said, Jerry apologized. He said, well, this is the east side, Gary. I said, Jerry, it happens on the west side, too. <laughs> Maybe even a le- more intellectual conversation on the west side, but same thing. Gossip is so malicious. Because nobody gossips good, they gossip down. Because of jealousy, envy. Think of Think of what you've done in your life that you've been the the focus of gossip, and I'll bet everyone in this room has had someone gossip about you, say things about you. If you're just nice, people are going to gossip about you, because if they're not nice, you're a threat. If you do something right and are proud of it, they're going to gossip. If you're self-confident, they're going to call you egotistical and not understand the difference between self-confidence and egotistical. If you're happy, they're going to wonder what drug you're on. So what you got to do is understand, select the people in your life that you want to share your energy with. And don't make excuses for their deficiencies. They got deficiencies that are not honoring who you are, that's a choice you should make now. Because if you don't make that choice now to stop that, you're going to pay for it over and over again. And you know the trouble with people? The moment two people finally recognize they should no longer be together, the relationship is not working, and they're not meant for each other, Instead of saying goodbye, they get married or have children. Right? Oh, yes, they do. I could introduce you to several. I can tell you people I've counseled. Yeah. Because then then they think that the child will take care of the relationship. But it doesn't. If you fear change, when you make a choice, you're going to have to commit yourself to something If you're committing yourself to something before you're desperate, you have more flexibility in what the commitment you can make. So start thinking now about what you want to believe in. Because when you're in the existing paradigm, the only thing you can believe in is what's in the existing paradigm. But maybe there are questions to your life answers that you don't answer inside the paradigm. Maybe there are people inside your paradigm, as good as they might want to be, can't answer your questions. And if they cannot answer your questions inside the belief system, then go outside the belief system. Now, there's where you run into trouble. There's there's the bugaboo. Because the moment you try to go outside of a belief system, that's when everybody gangs up on you. Because the control they have only only is in the existing hierarchy, hierarchy of the existing belief system you go over the window and you look out of the window of change and you see people over there in that belief system, they're doing deep breathing, they're doing yoga, they're doing meditation, they're taking stuff, they're juicing, they're slowing down, they're getting rid of the clutter in their life, they're uncluttering their cupboards, their kitchen, their desk, their responsibilities. They're giving back responsibilities that they no longer should have. They're having more time for each other. What would you rather have, success and the material possessions come with it, or quality time with the person you love? You can't have them both. And that's the problem that every yuppies tried to do. (laughs) Tonight, if you went up on the building after this lecture and you look downtown at Wall Street, you're going to see lights on. Those are not cleaning people. Those are people who want success and love. Now they're going to have to buy their love. They're going to have to buy the, the boarding school for their kids and the, the right dress for their wife or the right suit for their husband. They're going to have to pay for working 16-hour and 18-hour days because when you do that, your life is not in balance. And whatever is in the imbalance stage starts to crumble. It starts to implode. And all the apologies, and it's going to get better, and next year will be different, and when I just get this amount of money, we can then buy this and we'll do that. And we got or we bought so much that i got to work this hard to pay for it, then give it up. I'd rather live in a tiny little one-room apartment with a person I loved and know that I had unconditional time and quality with that person than live in a mansion with a stranger. And yet we want it both. You pay a price for success. The smart person is the person who knows how to say no to opportunity. In the country where people worship opportunity and exploit it, we don't know how to say no. There's a time when I must say no to the opportunity you've given me. Because time to myself, time for my kids, time for my spouse, that's important. Time for my friends and family, that's important. Because otherwise, one day you're going to get that call that your mother, your father, your brother, someone's dead. And you think, my god, I I didn't spend enough time with them. Um, but I was so busy. I had to pay for everything. I had so many bills. You know, I look around, and I got bills, bills, bills. Yes, yes, because we have an ins- insistent need to spend. We buy things we don't need. How about starting making the choices that you will go on and buying no things that are not essential for six months? If it's not essential, you don't buy it. Things that are essential for the quality of your life, not your desires, not your pleasures, not your conveniences. You don't need more clothes. We don't need toys and gadgets. But we try to make that replace the time that we don't give someone. And that doesn't work. If someone really loves you, they love you no matter where you live. And we like to think that As a man, at least, part of the reason people respect us is because we have become good providers. We work hard. Yeah, the trouble is men work too hard, and women work hard. We're too hard a working society. Kids in school. Unfortunately, the school has taken the replace today of parenting. Everybody has a piece of our kids' minds. And then we try to correct it, and then the kid thinks that we're we're jumping into their life, messing it up. Quality time can change that. Next. Do you dissipate your energy by doing too much and hence not doing anything completely? Think how many times you started projects, and you got into your project only to realize it wasn't going to get done because every time we went to work on the project, some other crisis occurred, some other distraction. Well, when do we stop all these distractions? When do we simply say one day, this is my life, I spent all my life over here and over there, dealing with everyone else's needs but my own. From today on, my needs count. This day is gonna resonate around 24 hours of taking care of me. Now, when I'm taking care of me, I'll have plenty left over to take care of other people, but it starts with my needs, because otherwise what happens at the end of the day, you've taken care of all your responsibility, all your to-do list, and you're not included in them. That's a sad thing when you're not in your own to-do list, and you feel guilty about giving yourself any time at all, and someone reminds you of something else that has to be done when you do to start to do something for yourself, that's not right. Do you change only what you want instead of what you need to change? We have to go through our comfort levels. We've got to get out of this idea that we should only change the things that we want to change because what you want to change is not not what you really need to change. To change what you need to change, that takes confidence and courage. That takes sacrifice. That takes being honest completely honest. That takes reevaluation of our beliefs and values. That takes waking up one day and saying, am I in the place I should be? Because most people are not doing the work they should be doing. They're not in the career they should be in. A lot of people choose their career because it then justifies earlier fears in life. I know a guy I grew up with who was always considered little strange emotionally. He went on to become a psychologist. Now nobody can tell him that he's not strange because he's the authority. I know another guy who went on to become a lawyer, and he was always argumentative, always having to win every discussion. I mean, if we were having dinner, about anything that we were talking, if he couldn't win the discussion, he'd get up and leave. So he became a lawyer. Now he can tell you that what's right because he's the lawyer. Another guy who was always a hypochondriac. Every, every day he was sick with something. He went on to become a doctor. Now you can't tell him that he's a hypochondriac because he's a doctor. He's an authority. Think of how many times we become what we fear. But then once we are that, then we can protect our fear. We guard it. Nobody really knows our insecurity. I deal with people just as human beings, not as objects. And when you've had someone sit across from you who's very powerful, who's very rich, who controls 100,000 employees, and you get through all the facades, and you're just talking with a man to a man, you see that he's no different than the mechanic, or the cab driver, or anybody else. He's just a regular guy. But all those fears come out. Part of the problem, and that's the level I gotta heal on. I can't heal on the level where he's gonna block everything and control everything, because the moment he goes back into his job, he puts on that mask that he's the boss, and he's invulnerable, and he's not emotional, and he snaps and everybody jumps. I can't heal on that, there's no, no vulnerability. You can only heal where there's vulnerability. You can only change where there's vulnerability. A child will sit on your lap and look up your nose and tell you if there's something there. We'll see the same thing and we won't say it. A child is vulnerable. Until you threaten them enough not to be honest, they will be honest. We have to revert back to the childhood innocence and honesty of our past, where we can make decisions as a child would make them. And part of that is intuition. Your intuition never lies. If you make your decisions from your intuition, you will always make the right choice. If you make it just from your conditioning, you make half the right choices. If you make it from your reactions, you will never make the right choice. And there's nothing worse than trying to hold on to your ego by trying to honor the wrong choices. Surrender the wrong choices now. Let them go. Forgive them and let them go. We don't like to be imperfect, but what is perfect? Nothing. Is Cindy Crawford perfect? No. Did you see the picture where they didn't even airbrush back in her navel? Yeah, she has that retouching stuff on the photographs. I counsel some of the most famous, and do some of the most famous actors in the world and celebrities. I've even counseled royal family members. I've never betrayed a confidence. No one ever knows who I've counseled, never will. I'm one of the few people in this world that moving the pyramid would be easier than breaking a confidence with me. I pride people who hold confidences. We're a society that wants to exploit every confidence that anyone shares with us, and that's unfortunate. She was a lack of character, a lack of spiritual value. There was one actor, he was so good, on screen, probably one of the five greatest actors ever lived. But I'm sitting across from him, and if you didn't know who he was, and you just saw a transcript of our conversation, you'd think this is just an average person. And I asked him, I said, why do you and your friends Spend so much of your life trying to show what big ring you bought this person or big house you lived there or or private jets going back and forth. He said, said, it comes down to this. Took this long pause and he said, if the average person out there knew how common we were, they'd never support us. And the reason we live in Beverly Hills and the reason that we hang out with people that we try to select to protect our identities is because we don't want people to see that we're no different than them, we just got the break and they didn't. 90% of success is publicity and promotion, 10% is talent. Think of all the people who are successful today simply because they were willing to be an exaggeration of the norm. But on pure talent, they would never have made it. And without being artificially manufactured, they would have not made it. But today there are media companies that have millions of dollars invested in a single person, so they have to manufacture it like they would a drug. So if talent becomes like a drug, they got to market it. And they got to make you believe that this is the best singer, the best dancer, the best actor, the best personality. Spend time with these people. I do. They sit on my couch across from me all the time. They come down to my ranch. I detox them. And you see them terrified. see one of these celebrities at 3 in the morning puking their guts up from a drawing from cocaine or alcohol or, and see them crying for two and three days, they're so insecure, they're lonely. Because partly we put them on a pedestal and then the moment we find a flaw, we destroy them. Never let someone put you on a pedestal. If anyone puts you on a pedestal, behind that need to put you on a pedestal is jealousy. And what creates jealousy? A third person. And that third person may be your ego. Doesn't have to be another person. And what also puts you up there can bring you down, envy. We are a highly envious society. We envy people's success, their looks, their happiness, their their strength. The very people that we're willing to give all this excessive success to for exaggerating the norm and most success is an exaggeration of the norm, we are that also become envious of what we give them. Because we start thinking, why They're, They're not. not so this or that or the other. And then sometimes you can just get a person who's just a regular person. Oh, like a Perry Como, for example. Just a regular person, nice guy. No, just a nice guy, and also talented. Doesn't have to exaggerate. We, we have a lot, by the way. We have a lot of people who are out there who don't have to exaggerate anything. And they're not manufactured. But today, today the industry is you manufacture success because it's all owned. Everything's out there owned by a few people. That means people are owned, they're controlled. Well, look what happens in our own lives when we expect too much of the people that we have looked at as models. Then it means that we have put too much of our own identity into the need of someone else to personify what we want in our own life. Never make someone else your hero before you've made yourself your own hero. We should be looking inward for the hero's journey, not outwardly. Do you obsess or worry or actualize change? We obsess too much, we worry too much, and we self-actualize too little. If you want to stop worrying, and you want to stop obsessing so you can make the right choice and you can choose that joy, then actualize. There is no perfection, but what there is, is a thousand honest mistakes to master life. Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, watch him. It is as close to perfection as it gets, but how many times did they have to do it to get it right? Now, they had the opportunity of weeks to doing one single dance number that will stand for time. But that was not in real time. That was in Hollywood time. Yet each day your hair is supposed to look perfect. Your breasts supposed to be even. Your eyelids the same height. Everything's supposed to be the same. But it isn't. We expect people to be what we needed them to be at one moment when we artificially made them something special and we wanted to stay that way. And one day we look at them and they just don't look the same. That you're just not as perfect as I thought you were. And then we start deconstructing you until we start looking at all your flaws and gee whiz. Now we just, yeah, you're not perfect at all. And then we put you down for it. Well, what if we didn't have to find that in other people? Instead we said, I'm oh, just going to master my life. I'm going to do it until I do it right. But we get discouraged so quickly and someone's always there to remind us that we are not that good. And the person's going to remind us of the person we shouldn't be asking their opinion because they're envious if we did get it right. I never ask anyone's opinion about anything. Not because I know it all, I do not. But because I trust no one's opinion over my feelings more than I do my own. I'm the one who has to do the feeling. I don't want to walk around with your feelings in my head, honoring your expectations through my experience. That's ridiculous. Well, what do you think? Should I or shouldn't I? Should I go out with her again or shouldn't I? Because <laughs> She's really attractive, you think. No, Gary, you shouldn't. She's probably got herpes. <laughs> OK, I'll take You're my friend. Yeah, yeah. You won her. You're going to tell. No, forget you. Kill you. Kill you. <laughs> so, I mean, think of how many times people later you realize gave you wrong advice, but you took it because you thought they it was the right advice. We're biased with our own information. Everyone else is gonna be equally biased because you don't know if it's envy or selfishness or lack of interest or what it is that someone's telling you how you look or what you should do. I mean, how many, time, how many times, men in the audience, for example, because some men will do this, but mainly it's women. How many times at a certain point in a relationship with a woman, they wanna take you home to meet their parents? Ever happened to any of you? Did you say, well, am I going to marry your parents? Why do I have to meet your parents? I said, why do I have to meet them? You said that? I said, why do I have to meet them? What did you say? Well, it just went on and on. Did you go meet them? Yes. Please. Are you still married? No. Shouldn't have met the parents. Parents mess up in there somewhere? The point is that... I don't need to meet anyone's parents. If I choose to, out of interest, fine. I don't want them to have approval over me. If a woman will only be with me because her parents will approve, then I'm with the wrong woman. She should know for herself whether she wants to be with me. That means that everything I do, her parents are going to have their opinion of it. So I have to have a three-way conversation again. And there goes that damn bleachers up in my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think more than you do? We think so much, by the time we get around to doing it, it's anticlimactic. Learn to make your choices in the moment. Let me tell you about this moment thing. This is very important. I think you understand now, or hope you understand, that images from our past are locked indelibly in the mind of every cell we have in our body. Everything that's ever happened is always there, the memory, even though the event's long ago. It can be positive, it can be negative, it can be neutral, but it's there, so therefore it has a power. Now once we recall that, generally what causes us to recall it is an immediate stimulation now, something we're smelling, feeling, hearing, seeing, experiencing in this moment, then that triggers it. Then we try to match how we felt then with now. And it's an imperfect match in most cases. Because a lot of people stop growing after high school and college. Then they were willing to experience life and be open and share their opinions and be a little more carefree. Now they become ultra conservative in all their views. And then when they hear that, it sometimes gives them that feeling of being open again. And the music over, and then it closed down again. You have but just a matter of seconds between the thought and the emotion that follows it. Five or ten seconds. If you continue thinking beyond that five or ten seconds, you will automatically create the emotion. And if it's a positive thought, a positive emotion, negative thought, negative emotion. If it's anxiety, you'll be anxious. Depressed, depressing. Anger. Now, I can't do anything with someone who is jealous. But I can tell them before you act on that jealousy, think about the consequences. Is this what you want to share? Because most people's jealousy is unfounded is perceived from that reaction. So you can change an emotion, a feeling, if you change the thought. The thought always precedes the feeling. Because once you create the feeling, you can stay in that feeling for hours. And every time you feel bad, you keep rethinking bad thoughts, and then more bad feelings, more bad thoughts, fear, more fear, more fear, more fear thoughts. If you just stop and say, hold on, I've, I've gone this road too many times. This doesn't feel good. I know what's gonna happen if I keep thinking this way. I've gotta stop my thoughts now, bring them to a halt. I don't wanna go this road anymore. I wanna change my thoughts and change my feelings. That can stop people from fighting. It can stop anger. It can stop accusal. It can stop all that nonsense and give you a timeout. That's how we stop patterns of behavior. Now, when you get in the habit of doing that, over and over again, stopping, and saying, I'm not gonna go where this thought's gonna take me. It's not gonna be good. I don't want the consequences of it. I don't. And you keep doing that over and over again, then what's gonna happen? You're gonna create a new reality in this moment. And when you redo that over and over and over, a thousand times, then the next time you have a match, a stimulation, your first level of reconnecting this will be in this moment. If you do not, then it will revert back to something from the memory of the past. That's better than trying to erase the tapes, as they say, because you can't erase the tapes. So many psychologists over the years have tried to get you to erase the tapes, you can't. You can never erase anything that's ever been done. It's there forever. What you can do is you can stop from going back to retrieve those if you've got something more current in this moment that you're dealing with to make a better choice. Do you follow what I'm saying? You're creating a new first stage awareness before you go to your backstage awareness. Now think of how that will help you because let's face it, in this moment you have stress. No. Are you fat in this moment? Are you reading in this moment? No. Are you making bad choices in this moment? No. Do you have pain in this moment? No. Are you processing disease in this moment? No. In this moment, you have total control over your life. If you stay in the present moment and live your life in the present moment, you can only be healthy. Hence, you process wellness. If you do not stay in the moment, you automatically process disease. Because when you're not in control of processing wellness, it automatically is disease. There's no neutral life. This whole notion of, well, I'm not really working on my health. I mean, I'm not in this health thing. Well, then you're into the disease thing because there's 64 trillion cells functioning every second of your life. They don't stop. Now, if you die right this moment, your heart's there, your eyes, your brain, your skin, your blood, what's missing? What's the only thing that's gone when you're dead? What's the only thing? Energy. energy. The very thing I've been talking about. This. the only thing that's missing is energy. When you get tired, <laughs> what's missing? Energy. When you're happy and excited, energy. When you feel good about yourself, energy. When you feel that you're right about something, energy. When you feel spiritual, energy. Energy is the basis of all life. And yet science doesn't recognize it because it can't control it, it can't measure it. So it denies it, just like homeopathy. And yet we are examples of energy. The fact that I can move, that's a mechanical energy. My blood, that's an, that is is osmotic energy. Biochemical reactions, that's a chemical energy. I can keep, if I go in 100 degrees or zero at 98 degrees, that's thermal energy. Five energies create life energy. Every action creates a reaction known as energy. So I've been healing with the energy that is innate and is the life energy. We've otherwise been trying to heal the body at the physical level alone, at the intellectual level, and not connecting and resonating with anything else. We've compartmentalized healing. We've compartmentalized joy and happiness, just like the other structural components of our life, all put into a compartment. And then we wonder why we're isolated alone. There's a thread that runs through all of us. If you were all talk for a week and never talk about what you did and just talked about your views on life, you would see how much you have in common with one another. You create a bond. It's a bond of common humanity. It would then become indifferent whether the person was Jewish, black, old, young, rich, poor, educated or not. The healing must be done on a human level. It cannot be done on an ethnic level. Look at all the good words said in the name of Catholicism. Lots of good words. Hasn't healed. In Judaism, hasn't healed. Christianity hasn't healed. Politics, it hasn't healed. And it's not because these are wrong. They've been at the right door and had the wrong key. Because they have forgotten that beyond our religion and our politic and our education, we are still fundamentally just the same. We're human beings. All healing must be at the human level with nothing in between. Anything in between takes it to the side. So just start thinking of yourself like anyone else. Make no one better and no one worse. The other night, I stopped on the street, I spoke with a couple of homeless people. One guy owned his ha- own home until two years ago when it burned down, and he didn't have insurance. Now he's living in shelters, selling these little homeless papers on the street. One guy I spoke to in Central Park worked on Wall Street, had a divorce, then lost his job, and was heavy in debt, took away his apartment three weeks ago, now I'm sitting in the park, and he says, gee, I used to jog in this park every day. I used to jog past homeless people. He says, now I'm sitting here with my two suitcases, and people come by, and they've been seeing me, and after the third or fourth day, they must be thinking that, you know, why is he sitting here? He says, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to survive. He says, I haven't asked anybody for money. I don't want to do that. He says, I go down to the places where I see other people. He says, but then I started to talk with these people and found out they're no different than me. He says, I wouldn't have given any of these people two minutes of my time before. He says, now I realize, my God, I'm one of them. Not everybody on the street is, a, is out of a mental institution, by the way. Yeah, there are some. There, there are some people out there who are among, emotionally imbalanced and shouldn't be out in the street. And there are a lot of people on the streets who also shouldn't be on the street. I don't believe anybody should be on the street. There's something wrong when Bill Gates has more money than the next 100 million Americans combined. Something's wrong with that. Just something not right. One man should not have more wealth than the next 100 million Americans. But that's the way it is, and it's getting more of a disparity. So we separate ourselves. We glorify those who have, and everybody else becomes invisible. You weren't invited to Lincoln Bedroom, were you? I didn't think so. You weren't invited to Council on Foreign Relations, decide how the world's gonna be run. Right now. No, we're just there to consume. That's all we're good for, it seems. So we have to decide do we wanna continue the choices that have allowed us to stay in neutral and not proclaim where we wanna be with our life, because neutral is always down. It is never neutral up. You're either using your energy to heal, which opens you up, or you're using it to disease. Your mind and your thoughts will dictate where it's gonna go. Stay in the moment and you stay balanced. Make your decisions from the past and you're always gonna have fear, guilt, and shame and remorse. Project into the future from your past and you have fear of the future, so all your decisions are made upon insecurity. If you only make choices based upon being insecure, you're never gonna make the right choice. You're just gonna work harder and harder never getting out of that rat race. You gotta slow down and make choices from now and put your life in perspective. Now, what a lot of people do is they wait until they see something interesting enough outside their beliefs. Then they go to the door and they listen. And they listen carefully. And they listen to what they're hearing and frequently what's heard is, gee, there's a better way of eating, living, thinking, exercising, relating. But do I have the confidence to try any of it? Now, the problem is that we are so afraid of letting go of our current values and beliefs that we cannot incorporate any new ones in. Our life is so full of beliefs that to bring another belief in without surrendering one of our existing beliefs is not going to work. It just clutters the mind. So we stand in the door of change. We're half in and we're half out. We want the security of everything we've ever known and done, and yet we want the freedom to be healthier and happier, go on with our lives, have more meaning and purpose. But we're not not willing to give 100% commitment to go forward, and we're not willing to go completely back and shut the door. We've had enough freedom and enough view that we know there's something more. Most people stay stuck at the door of change, not in, not out. All that does is in time, it creates enormous apathy. You just start to feel disgusted with yourself for your procrastination, and is one of the excuses you use not to go forward. You don't have enough knowledge. You don't have enough facts. You don't have enough security. You don't have enough money in the bank. You don't have enough knowledge or friends or connections. You'll always find that you don't have enough of something to justify the changes you've gotta make. Nothing's ever gonna be completely right Everything in life is a risk. If you want to grow and be healthy, you've got to take some appropriate risks. No risks, no reward. Little risk, little reward, and a major risk, a major reward. If you want to really be healthy and happy, then you've got to take a risk to be that. Because you can't honor two systems at the same time. And yet we try it. We'll eat bad food and we'll take vitamins. We'll work under very negative stressful jobs and uh, take some B-complex. It doesn't work. You've got to create something for yourself. Now what I believe you, you should, should do is give yourself a plan and give yourself a timetable. Six months, a year, two, years, however much time you think it takes is fine to prepare yourself for the changes you want to make in your life so the choices will be your own choices. Now there's still not going to be a safety net. Now there's the key. You really know you have courage when you're willing to make changes knowing that you have no absolute certainty that what you're about to do is gonna land you on your feet. And by the way, sometimes you'll land squarely on your rear end and that's okay because think of every time a baby tried to walk, it fell, but it got up and laughed and walked again and fell again. Think how many times you did things wrong before you did them right. Right now, if you took someone who'd never eaten with a fork ever, and you ask them to put a fork in their mouth, they're gonna punch their teeth, their gums, their mouth. Think of it this way, think of this later. Every time you put a fork in your mouth, you don't even watch it go in. You don't measure it, but you never hit your teeth, you never stab yourself. But if you thought about doing it, you would. That's the confidence of doing it till we master it. When you wa- try it. Try it tomorrow, and I'll bet you stab yourself. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, 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 all over and when you walk up steps, you don't raise your foot six inches and then three inches. You just walk up and down. Try looking at the steps and measuring your fall. But we've mastered it. We master so many things. We master so many things, but we don't master a lot of the essential things. We master a lot of the peripheral things. We spend a lot of our time around the peripheral issues of our life, and we stay away from the most important issues. And that doesn't work. Go in and and embrace your biggest fears. Embrace them and you'll see that the fear is mainly an illusion. That you don't have the confidence because you don't have all that you think you need to have. But if you're insecure, no matter what you're given, it'll be never enough. You can say, well, I need another question, another question, another question, another question. You can have 10 million questions answered and if you're insecure, it'll never be the question allowing you to make the change. You've gotta have the boldness of character to say, I'd rather make mistakes and learn from my mistakes by doing than not to do and always be frustrated that I could do something more. So make the change. Do we increase our avoidance of issues which increases our crisis? Do you hope something better will happen or do you go out and make it happen? Do you get anxiety over making important decisions? Do you always ask others for their approval? Would you rather help others with their projects or create projects or work on your own? Do you always feel that whatever you're about to do is too much? Do you exaggerate the difficulty of your dilemmas to gain sympathy from other people so that you don't have to commit yourself to change? How do you respond to things you don't want to do? Positively or negatively? What happens when you feel you're going to lose something important to you? One of the reasons that we don't make many changes in our lives and we want things to be the same forever is because we don't like how it feels when we're gonna lose something. I have a different view on that than most people. I'd like you just to consider this view. It's probably a radical view for many of you, but it might open you up. I grew up in a small town where you were supposed to live in the same house forever and your parents before, uh, grandparents before you. Your friends were supposed to be friends for life. And whether you're a man or a woman, you were only supposed to have one job. I mean, you were considered irresponsible if you didn't like your job and want another job. Had one job for life. You'd work, put in your 20 years or 30 years, and you retire, that was it. Now I just went back to my reunion last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, and, and sure enough, that's how many of them had lived. What if you thought about everything as just a passage? And that whatever you're doing, it's just going to be for a period of time, and then it ends. Because everything in life is a passage. Look in the mirror today, and you'll see the passage occurred physically. Look at the people in your life today versus 20 years ago, and think how many passages you've gone through. And yet, 20 years ago, you wanted one passage to be for life. One person for life. One home for life. One job for life. But it doesn't work that way, does it? But what if you began to change your thoughts so that you were more realistic about what your needs are and tried to fulfill your needs in a passage, recognizing that when those needs are met, there will be an end to all things, in which case you either renegotiate a new beginning or create an all-new direction altogether. That you have the right to change courses. You have the right to go on a hundred paths, if you wish. You don't have to stay on one path because how many times you've been on someone else's path thinking it was yours? You would work very hard to master someone else's life to honor someone else's views and beliefs, but you were still empty inside. Cause in those quiet moments when you weren't busy, you still didn't feel the completeness you should have had for all the effort you put into a life. So I live my life through passages. If I'm working on projects, I work for six months or so, on a book or an article or whatever, and I'll say right now for the next six months or a year, I'm gonna do this, and this is the direction my life will take. I'm committing myself completely to this. But then this will end. And then I have the right to redirect myself. I build a beautiful place in Texas, on Gene Autry's old uh, place, I had it for 10 years and I sold it. It was time for that passage to end. It was a valuable lesson. It was both pleasure and pain because of the difficulties, but the joys. But there was a time when it no longer met my needs. So I let it go. And I didn't think about whether I was selling it in an up market or down market or losing or making money. I thought about it being at the end of something so I surrendered the need for it so I can make the next choice in my life. I could be on, I was on a radio show down uh, south, and I gave that show up because I no longer needed that experience. I'd done that. I had a healing center for four years. I gave up the healing center this past year. Turned over Dr. Argo. Now it's not run the same way, it's run his way. We have two different ways of doing things. But I have to respect that what he's going to do, He's got to be responsible for it but I'm ready for a different direction in my life. My, my direction now over the next, starting in December, for the next two years, all of my energy is gonna be on rejuvenation. Helping people rejuvenate, reverse the aging process. I've got a, something coming out on network television that you all see starting in December. I've got a major book, a thousand page book coming out on reversing the aging process. All my work, all my research, all my thoughts, all my philosophy on how we can reverse our aging is in this book. It's called Living Forever. I've got several documentaries on this coming out and I'm now selling one, the only other place I own, in order to try to build a, uh, a beautiful Shangri-La for people who come. Probably the most beautiful spa in the world. And it'll be down in Florida. But it'll be for middle-class people, so anybody can afford to be there. And it'll be where people come and learn be taught, not treated, taught, how to change everything from their cells' biochemistry and repair damage uh, to how to live a better life. that's, That's a direction. That's a passage. And then that may end, or I may renegotiate it and take it some other direction. But by building a life based upon what I need to do to honor my own self and my views, it's a passage. Even friends are passages. And sometimes you'll see people and they're very important in your life and then they go in a different direction and you say, okay, and sometimes they come back around and meet you again, and sometimes not. And it's not a matter of being good or bad, it's a matter that people have choices of where they want to put their time. I don't want someone to call me once a year and say, oh gee, you know, I was just thinking of you. You know, uh, uh, friends are in your life. If I can't see someone and speak with them on a regular basis, then why, why are they in my life? I don't believe in this thing of having a lot of acquaintances that you bump into and they, everybody makes an excuse why you haven't you know, spoken. You know. uh, friends are people you, be friends. If I'm in a relationship, I'm gonna spend quality time with the person in that relationship. I don't want a convenience relationship. Do you know how many times people have been in a relationship where they did not have love? So therefore that was not an important issue, but the, the materialism or something else was. So they stayed in a relationship based upon the secondary value of what they were getting. That's, that's not for me, but for some people it is. So you say, would well, you whiz, why are you together? Well, because there are conveniences, you yeah. People can't even be honest. So what if you started to redirect your life from this moment on what's really important to you and honor the essential needs and the essential self? A lot of things would change. What is the difference in any perceived loss when you feel secure in yourself and you feel insecure in yourself? If you're not making changes because you're afraid of losing something, ask yourself, How would I feel about losing this if I were secure in myself or insecure in myself? If I'm insecure in myself, I'm gonna do everything possible, procrastinate, deny, lie, uh, contort my reality in order to hold on because I'm afraid of losing something. But what if what you're about to lose and you fear losing is not essential to you? What if you put all that energy into staying stuck in a place in life that's not important to you to begin with? Do you understand what I mean? People afraid to lose a job that's a toxic job. Because it pays the bills, then find another way of paying the bills that honor you. Because you're afraid to go to bed alone at night? Well, if I'm secure myself, and if the person I'm going to bed with at night is not a happy person, a warm and loving person, then I'd rather go to bed alone. But if I'm insecure, I'll be one of those guys that go to bed you know, with the same person who I don't like, but. It's better than going to bed alone. That says more about me than does the person I'd be with. I'm saying that most of the things we fear losing, we shouldn't have to begin with. What you feel you cannot live without, you shouldn't be living with. Because it is not nurturing you, it is imprisoning you. And when you become imprisoned in your decisions by your fears of not making choices that are in your own best interest, then how are you gonna choose joy? How are you gonna choose new career? How are you gonna choose anything that's happy for you? How are you gonna change your diet? Because you're afraid to lose the respect of people around you? There's a firefighter that comes into Whole Foods, bald-headed guy, nice guy. He has a whole fire truck pull up there and goes and gets stuff. But when he first started taking in this thing, they all did ridicule him, you know, and then, what's that, you know, pond scum? But when they got all sick, he never got sick. And they go out to a fire, he never coughed up black. So now, after five years, they're paying attention. Now they're actually starting to enjoy it. He didn't fear losing the respect of his colleagues by the changes he was making. Because of that, he made his choices from confidence. And now other people are motivated because of that. So look at the examples of what you fear losing and ask yourself, are you procrastinating and not making changes because of your insecure self or a secure self? What is the root of envy and jealousy? Is it real or perceived? I I respect other people for the joys and happinesses and everything else they have in their life. I don't envy it. If I envied something, I would be insecure in myself. I don't look at someone and say, gee, you're with a more beautiful woman than I am. That shows disrespect for the woman I'm with. I can appreciate the beauty of other people, but it does not lessen the beauty of the person that I I would enjoy. I can look at someone and say, God, you're really strong. But it doesn't make me feel about, about my own strength. I don't envy it. I respect it because I figure if you're strong, just like in a sport, When a guy I took a a silver against the Russian national champion in a championship race three weeks ago, I went over and I shook his hand. I said, you ran a great race. He says, says, I trained eight hours a day. I said, well, I can't train eight hours a day. And I know how hard you had to do to do this race to win. And so instead of envying him or being jealous of his victory, I respected it because I knew what he had to do. We have to get out of envy and jealousy and get into our own self to see how we build ourselves. In the moment, you can do that. And lastly, in what ways are your relationships of value to you? At least sit down and make a list of all your relationships, your job relationship, your family relationship, your friends, all the relationships you have in your life, and ask yourself, what's of value in this relationship? and add up all the values and see how they are valued value to you. And sometimes you'll see that some of the relationships you have in life really don't have the value they should. And therefore, you can start the process of disengaging or strengthening or seeking another way. We have too many things in our lives that are superficial and not enough essential. And that ends this particular part of our discussion.